throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Friday, October 13th. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and on subscribe on YouTube as well. I want to tell you about our friends at Homage, too. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WME licenses. They use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below, make your purchase, and support the Just Basketball Show. Please do that. They have a ton of great WNBA stuff. NBA stuff has that season's coming around the corner. And dare I say, they have the NFL starter jackets, which I look at once a week and contemplate buying a the bronze cream one, if I'm being entirely honest with myself. But jam-packed show today. We have the debut of a new segment we're going to try out, basketball speed dating. We'll explain what that is in a moment. We have two news stores hit out, one NBA, one WNBA, WBA Finals Game 2 recap, where the Las Vegas Aces are going to win, Juggernaut. The, uh, win the champion. They're going to win this whole thing. It's... It feels over, and we're, we're going to finish up with a preview of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, more receiving previews come lots to cram in in the next week or so, but by golly, we're going to pull too it many. off. Too many. Britain, too many, but you know what? Some of these teams, I think, should be a little quicker, I would dare say, at the top. It's almost like easier to talk about some of these teams at the top. Sure. Is sure. that fair? Okay. That's fair. This is how we're going to spend like 20 minutes on like the Phoenix Suns lineup combinations. This is where this is going to end up. Yeah, you're setting us up to underachieve our expectations, but that's okay. <laughs> Let's. Uh, the Kings one was good. We can get to the WNBA. That is a problem for a different day. Yes. All right, basketball speed dating. Here's what this is going to be. So Brendan and I today are going to go through a list of questions. Think about speed dating uh, that you would do in real life. You ask someone some questions, you get to know them a little bit better. When we have reoccurring guests, say a Wes Goldberg, say we have Arm from Just Baseball come on to whine about the Miami Heat at some point, say we have, maybe we have a player come on and we, they'd be willing to do this. We're just going to run through these questions, have some fun with it, and you're going to get to know us better. We'd like to do this with our producers, uh, Dylan and Zane as well. I think that could be fun to bring them on and, and you guys get to know them a little bit too. Brendan, let's start. All right, uh, I'll it. ask you. So, I'll, what we're going to do is I'll ask first. I'll ask, you answer first, and then it will go back to me. We'll alternate back and forth that way if that's cool. Yeah. Right. First question Who is your first favorite player? My first favorite basketball player, the easy answer would be Steve Nash. Born and raised in Phoenix, the seven seconds or less Suns teams were my, you know, baptism in basketball, so to speak. But. This is teasing the next question a bit, mm-hmm. but my first favorite player was Boris Diaw. And for those who don't remember, before he was a champion with the Spurs or, uh, you know, everybody's favorite espresso drinker, really brought coffee to basketball before Jimmy Butler. And I think that they need to have a kind of final standoff about who really gets to own that corner because Diaw was... It was, he was doing it before it was cool. But as a basketball player, before all that, he was on the Suns, and he was the guy who really ratcheted up the insanity of what they were doing in Phoenix from a small ball standpoint, from a how are they even winning with all of this lesser talent standpoint. He filled in for Amari Stoudemire as a center, you know, the second best player on the team and the guy who really was made it possible to play small. And he just was the most unselfish, random type of dude to ever kind of take the court. Like, just... 6'5 center who didn't want to shoot but 
could lock down LeBron James in a finals or put up 20 points out of nowhere or do all these different things. So he is uh, forever and always in my heart. Boris Diaw, first favorite basketball player. How about you? Love that. Uh, mine, can you, I'm sure you could guess mine, Brendan. It's LeBron James. I mean, I am from mm. Cleveland, Ohio. He was entering the league when I was in fourth grade. My friends and I that year all wore matching LeBron James jerseys to school on the first day of school. Hell yeah! Le- I mean, I mean, I'm I'm of that age. It's like the, it was like the perfect mm-hmm. age to go get to see LeBron. It was the perfect age to get into sports and really care. Um, like, and the Cavs were really bad before that. And like, I don't remember. My dad's not the, like they. It was like Deshaun Jop, and like it just it wasn't a good time. Like Z is probably the first player I was like that guy's awesome. But I mean, it's <coughs> LeBron. It's. It when was the first season you saw a LeBron game in person? His rookie. I went his rookie year. My dad. Nice. My dad loved him forever. He's he, dad. If you're watching this, text me. You usually do, and he tells me we did a good job, but gives me no specific notes, which is the opposite of what I want. Give me specific notes. I've remaining senior. Um, he. I would get to pick like two or three games a season. Okay. And we would. And I would get to go. That was like my thing. And the first game I ever went to. Uh, or the first one I really remember going to was a, I think a Cavs Wolves game because I wanted to see KG, and these really drunk guys in front of us are chanting "I renewable, you effing suck," and my dad, I was okay. like, Dad, what does the f word mean? And I was like, Okay, cool, sports baby, yeah, sports will teach you things. My dad was like appalled, and now I'm I'm out here talking about the sports on the internet to make some some money, so. Thank, thanks, Dad. You invested. This this investment's turned out well. All right, first jersey. I'm gonna, can I go first in this one? Because I yeah, want to see your reaction it. to this. Because LeBron okay. technically is my first. But if I want to like give you like a better answer for this, the yeah. first like jersey with like better stitching that I got that wasn't LeBron, Jermaine O'Neal blue Indiana Pacers jersey, sixth grade. Nice. It's kind of a it's Cavs somewhere. rival, isn't it? I re- here's the thing. I had a I I was. I have a I love post players like all my favorite players the kids in world LeBron were Jermaine O'Neal, Duncan, KG like I love bigs. Mm-hmm. I've something about Jermaine O'Neal for whatever reason I just really like so I did ha- I I wanted a Jermaine O'Neal Indiana Pacers jersey and I don't really know why I don't really th- so I never you support the uh, you support the attack on Pistons fans that happened at the Palace of Auburn Hills. <laughs> okay, hey, easy there, buddy, easy. No. He was also, I don't believe he actually, did he throw punches in that? I don't think he did. He got a part of the suspension. I think he might have entered the crowd. I think Artest was the only one who actually struck anybody in the crowd, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he got off light. Uh, I just had No, that's a good one. Couldn't tell you why. Couldn't tell you why. Couldn't tell you why. Don't know where that jersey is, but I love Jermaine O'Neal. I have the same thing. That was what I was hinting at a second ago with the Boris Dia answer. He, I, I... Actually, no. I'm thinking now. I realized I had from the seven seconds or less era Suns. I think the jersey that I ended up having, aside from Nash, was Raja Bell, number 19 Raja Bell jersey. Um, but going away from Phoenix, similar to the spirit of yours, since that's kind of obvious, Dwayne Wade. And uh, I, I was, I don't really like the Heat jerseys, the, the generic, like, kind of dark red. Uh, not not the best, but that was what I went with. I just the way Wade played was incredible. That 2006 Finals was kind of like kind of the the right age to start to actually be able to keep track of stuff and not just be like 
mom, dad, are we doing an NBA game this year? But like actually watching on TV by myself and all that stuff. And the dude was electric. And now he is the only jersey I still have as far as NBA jerseys go. Besides this Mikhail Bridges that hangs up and the Giannis one that's signed. Uh, besides those two, Wade is the only adult NBA jersey I've ever purchased. And I don't wear it a ton because, you know, basketball jerseys aren't really out in public things. But I have a Miami Vice Wade jersey hanging in my closet still. So you should uh, you full should circle. That, that, that would be a good frame. I do wear it enough still because I can still squeeze into it that it's like a beach thing or like, you know, kind of the, the right the right vibe. I'll still throw it on. But yeah, some someday it's going in a in a frame. Do do people in Phoenix wear basketball jerseys to the gym? I see that every once in a while. Like yesterday, there was like a guy in a deli jersey at the gym, which is just the most Cleveland shit I've ever seen in my life. But I don't think so. OK, no. The thing like, is, the Suns have been awful for a very long time, so up until recently. So there's, you know, defining what a Suns fan is is a little bit difficult in 2023. It's probably some kid in, like, you know, Oklahoma City who just started tweeting about Kevin Durant 10 years ago and never stopped. I don't know if there's a lot of people at the gym who uh, call themselves Suns fans. I, we'll see, I guess, this year. All right, team, next question. Team, you're most sure got screwed out of a title. Brendan, what's your answer for this? You should go first here, because I'm I'm gonna be a homer again. Are you? So no, yeah. There's the, the okay. The the easy answer is the 2016-17 Cavs, which is the best LeBron mm. team of that second era. And if not for Kevin Durant, the Cavs are winning the title that season. You can't convince me otherwise. Easy, easy answer. Yeah, that's fair. So. Mine is the 2007 Phoenix Suns. This is yeah. the Robert Ory hip check. This is the suspensions of Amari Stoudemire and the aforementioned Boris Diaw in uh, the deciding games of the series. This is similar to your point on the best Cavs team. 07 is the best peak version of the Suns. They actually had a backup center in Kurt Thomas. They had Leandro Barbosa at his absolute peak. And then they still had the core of Nash, Bell, Mary, and Stoudemire. And you have a bloody Nash, some suspensions later, and the San Antonio Spurs go on to sweep your Cleveland Cavaliers. Who We could have had a, a shared history, Chris, if the Suns had actually moved on to the finals that year and how do you think that turns out do you think lebron could have beaten the seven seconds or less Suns? no that Cavs team was not good enough yeah. that team got there because lebron was great you go back and look at the starting lineup go back and look at the offensive rating of that team that's why it's so funny that mike brown just got noted as having the best offensive system in the league by nba gms because like anyone who watched the Cavs or the lakers Cavs twice yeah. mind you um yeah I, do people do I obviously like the Lakers thing was like a bigger weird thing and the Cavs first Cavs thing was its own thing but I kind of wonder it's like kind of lost in Mike Brown's TV that Dan Gilbert like hired him back <coughs> and then he just like got fired again Mike LeBron Brown has gotten back. more chances in the NBA than anyone ever has it feels like and kudos I mean look like yeah, he, yeah. he the Kings thing worked out like I'm I'm definitely not trying to take anything away from him but it is pretty crazy at the end of the day that he has keep kept resurfacing when no one expected him to all right uh player you just can't quit brendan who's your who's your answer for this i feel like we should skew active player for this but if you went like yeah. older guy that's like out of the league I, I can understand that as well this is tricky 
feels like we just talk about so many players that it's hard for me to find like a deep cut that, you know, is, is different kind of territory. I'll go with this one. I have two. I'll do two. Okay. Okay. First of all, I just think Kyle Kuzma can finally be like a good two-way player. I remember when we were talking about him at the deadline and then again at free agency. And then obviously we just did the Wizards preview to kick off our preview series. And every time he's one of those players for me where I, I like have a perception of him. I click into his basketball reference page and I'm like, actually statistically not great. Oops. Yeah. You know, like, oh, he, he shoots like 31% from three. You know, or like, okay, he's six nine, but does has he made like a huge impact defensively in his career? It's, no. Okay. Interesting. You know, um, and then Tobias Harris is my other one. <laughs> like, there's a part of me that, and they're similar players, right? But like, I think there's part of me still that we were talking about this with the Embiid thing and the Harden trade and everything of like, kind of just want to see uh, an Embiid Harris Maxi season, what that could be, but. We all know what it'll be from a Harris standpoint, but every time I think about it, I'm like, I think there's still something there. The guy's like 30 years old. It's it's definitely not still there. Uh, he's been on like seven teams, um, but you know, I still believe. So those are my two. How, who do you got? So I have one homer one and then one non-homer one. My homer one is Isaac Okoro because he's still like 22, and I'm just like, I just you know, getting to cover him up close and understanding the dude's work ethic. I just kind of like believe that it's like there's something there if you just like give it a little fair time but he might just it just might not be good enough and that's okay but the other one is like maybe not even a great answer for this but i just was thinking about what his career is and that he was a first round pick and that it just hasn't totally popped but i I, my other answer is josh okogi so you picked the same human being on two different teams for your answer here. Isaac Okoro yeah. and Josh Okogie. That is, yes. those are clones of one another. Yeah. So this is also, this is my player archetype. I have a problem. I have a problem mm-hmm. with this. And I'll, I can explain why. There's like a very, like, if my therapist were going to sit me down and talk to me about this, mm-hmm. he would tell me that I have a type and I have a type and it comes from a place of... of well, speaking opposite. of a type too, before you make the Okogie case, uh, yeah. suggestion to anyone finding this here segment... Um, if you find yourself actually speed dating, I would recommend not starting your answers with this is not a good answer, <laughs> which is what you just did with the Kogi. So I would just it, say it, the confidence good, goes a good. long way, you know. Brennan, this is this is good advice for me in, in, at this phase of my life. I mean, I haven't been on a date like really, you know, it's 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 been a minute. Yeah. I haven't been yeah, on a date as an adult, same. so I'm definitely not the one giving advice out, but I'm just saying I think I can give that advice probably yeah. to our listeners, to our audience, like don't start that way. But also just, give me your Akogi case. Cause I, just, just to be just to be clear to the listeners, Brendan's not a weirdo who hasn't been on a date and doesn't leave his house, he's married. I'm an incel. It's time to reveal myself. <laughs> Yeah, Brennan's just like on 4chan all the time before before he does these. I don't have time to be talking to women because there's just so much important stuff going on 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 this here monitor that I'm looking at now. So like, yeah, um, you're about that no, guy. make yeah, like the, yeah yeah make the Akogi case. I shouldn't make the joke because <laughs> well, I, I, I need it. Like, he's he's gonna start for the Suns. Yeah, I I just think there is a undervalued status to guys like him who are strong, who can guard multiple spots, who are really competitive. 
who even if the yeah. offense isn't fully there, they just provide a level above on defense on the other end. Even if it isn't like all defense level, it's like so clearly above your average wing that mm-hmm. I really think if you can compensate for it on your team, I think it really does help you. And it's just like, I, I think a guy like that who is like straight up just strong, stronger than most of the guys he's going to defend and still has a quickness to him, I think mm-hmm. it's just a really, really useful thing to have as a player. And I just like when guys like that succeed. Like, and he ha- like it's look, I, you know, he shot better than he has for three last year, still not quite good enough, exactly what you want. It's like a 20-minute game guy. I get there's like a cap here on what he's going to be, but I just think there's a role for that kind of guy if we kind of allow them to have it and, and give them chances to make mistakes to some degree. I think that's the kind of guy that there's just enough there sometimes where I'm like, I just like how this guy impacts basketball in just the way that it's maybe the least sexy way possible. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire league. So yeah, if, if he can be more than that, he clearly has a role. Um, the Nuggets. Just, just, the Nuggets said, says, "Hello, Josh. You can take any shot you'd like in last year's playoffs." And the Suns didn't really know what to do from that. So, let's hope it doesn't happen again. It, it just says so much about like where the league is at. That guys who are like one, some of the best defenders in the league, and I think a Curb Jones could fall in this category. Like Okoro is like amazing at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. I think these are, it's just like the league is so skewed one way that it makes life like guys like this really hard. And I just kind of like empathize with that a little bit. Cause they're if clearly you can't just shoot, like, you have to be able to handle the ball or pass or yeah. be big, a small player who can't shoot or dribble. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. No, it's been like weeded out of the league and it's just like happen. It's like happening in front of our eyes to some degree. And like the strength thing is also just like, I, I don't think that many guys are like that. They don't feel like as like bruising and strong anymore to some degree. Unless you're like a Jalen Brunson type. I don't think you feel strength in that in that way anymore. All right. Favorite player archetype. Um, mine, Brennan, is like big bulky wings of all kinds. Lou Dort. Okogi, Okoro, anyone you could have. Like I love wings who are... To, to relative to their position, big, strong, bruising. It's why I love Jimmy Butler. It's why I love Pete Kawhi. It's why I love Le- LeBron. The, one of my favorite of LeBron is Bruiser LeBron, who just like there's just no way even centers can stop him pound for pound. So that that's mine. It's it's big, strong wings who are a little more bruising than your average NBA wing. What's yours? Mine is athletic two guards who often have to go kind of add skill to their game. So for anyone who is a repeat listener of our show, that is why I pray at the altar of Anthony Edwards. Like that is just, that's it. And we already talked about how I bought a Dwayne Wade jersey twice in my life. Like uh, that, that's it. You know, I, I had a little bit of a crush on Donovan until he kind of plateaued here the last few years and now it's fun to be out on him because I get to be rude to you about it but other well, than that plat- like that's my guy he didn't plateau he didn't plateau last year just in the I, I would say overall but in the playoffs yes he did plateau hmm. Con- argument for now. a different time on whether Donovan for uh, well we have a Cavs we have our Cavs <coughs> preview podcast coming up Next very shortly tease tease yes yeah so um yeah it's it's that type of guy like but even even non-star level like give me a Gerald Green um, you know, give me like a Shannon Brown, um, any of those types of players. I'm, I'm at least go, like a, like a Benedict Matherin, you know, like give me any of those guys. And I love to watch the process of them going from like 
you were a top 10 pick because you can do anything, but like, how do you actually become a winning NBA player? That's super fun. Um, all right. We have some goofy ones to close, I think. Yes, this is, we have two quick ones here to wrap this up. Well, I don't think these are goofy. I think they're just a little, they're a little less, they're, you know, maybe a tad less serious, but I think that's okay. All right. What food and drink goes best with basketball? Brandon, what's your answer to this? This was your question, so I want you to kind of answer this first. So, look, I think with like football, like a Super Bowl party, right? Uh, NFL football, you want like you the chips, the dip, stuff like that works because you can look away. Soccer can kind of have the announcers get your attention, so that that has its own energy. Baseball, there's a lot of pausing going on, but we know hot dogs are kind of the, the baseball food. So basketball is different because you kind of can't look away. So to me, it's it's a food and drink everybody associates with like watching stuff. But I do think it's the best for basketball specifically for that reason. Pizza and beer. Yeah. Just just good old fashioned. Nothing special. Nothing fancy about it. But going to a bar with like cheap pizza, cheap beer, watching like an NBA playoff game. It's just, it's, it's why God created all this, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I definitely uh, did not plan on saying that, but it, it just felt right. It's okay. Yeah. No, it, look, it, it felt right to me too. I, my, I have the same answer. Give me some, give me a lager, like a domestic and okay. give me, give me a pizza or pizza or like, so soft, or like I'm, soft pretzels. I'm an incel and you're anti foreign beer. I'm not anti-foreign. Is beer, that your like, perspective is- on other things or just beer? <laughs> no, I mean, I would also take like a, a nice like Guinness because I just love a Guinness. I would take like a European lay lager, like uh, like pick any pick, pick like a Jarlsberg. I would take that, too. I would take a I would take a Modelo, you know. OK, OK. Yeah. Just no IPA. Beer like uh, or pizza, like not not too cheap, not too good. I don't want like a Neapolitan, like there. it was just in a pizza oven in a, you know, some kitchen somewhere. I want it like kind of cardboardy on the crust. Cheese is like, you're not sure if it was what shape it took prior, if it's like a little plasticky. Like that's kind of the, that's the energy that I'm looking for. Yeah. If I could buy it by the slice, that would also be optimal, but that's like, obviously not. You can't do that everywhere. Not everywhere. Okay. That was your answer too? That was my answer. That or like, okay. if I'm not going to give you, it's, if it's not going to be pizza, it's soft pretzels. Mm, okay. I like that. Like a cheese dip and a mustard dip. Yeah. Sure. Sure. All right. Favorite basketball movie. Last one. Uh, well, we have two. We have favorite basketball movie in Jersey. You wish you had framed in your office. Oh we yeah. Shit. Two. I miss. We, f- we skipped that one. Go ahead. It's okay. We'll do that one last. That one. Favorite basketball movie. Uh, it's, why am I forgetting it? It's, I, it's Spike Lee. It's, Doesn't yeah. sound like it's your favorite if you don't remember uh, my the brain, name. It's, it's he, he Got, got game. game. Yeah, that's what it's, it's called. It's He Got Game. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why my brain just broke there, but it's 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 He Got Game. That's my favorite basketball movie. Not All right. Close. Mine is... Mine, some people don't think is a basketball movie, but it's Uncut Gems. Is I that a basketball movie? Say, I, I, <clears throat> it counts. It's a basketball okay. betting movie at the very... I thought you were going to be like the 2023 He Got Game remake or uh, White Man Can't Jump remake. It is not. That is a basketball movie, but not my kind favorite. Of. Um, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, it's Uncut Gems. I love that movie. I think every performance in it is masterful. I think the energy is, especially after the first time you see it, when you're kind of expecting the freneticism of it, just beautiful. And 
there's a ton of basketball in it. There's actual NBA player in it. There's game action going on. There's shots in practice courts. Yeah, it's it's a bas- it's a sports betting movie. It's also a basketball movie. It's both. Isn't Mike Francesa in it? That's yeah, he that's is. another one. As a, like so, as a, there's as so a, many as connections. A, as a, as a bookie, yeah, which is just amazing stuff. Uh, very excited, by the way. Do you know, Brown Brandon, that the next Safdie Sander collaboration is about the sports cards industry? Mm-hmm. Are you aware of this? We got to get Aram to hook it up with an interview on that. Yeah, look, we're gonna, if I interview the Safdies, we're going to talk about good time for like 40 minutes, and we're just never going to talk about that movie. No, we're getting Adam Sandler on if we're interviewing anybody oh, then, involved in that project. You kidding? I, Come on. You want to talk? You want to talk about Benny Safdie about his work on Oppenheimer? I would also love to talk to the Safties, but if we're power ranking who I would like to speak with, Adam Sandler is a distant first of that group, and then the Safties okay. are below that. But yes, I did know that that right, was their Brent, next uh, their next part. here's I'm just gonna tell you in this universe now: if, if God God willing, we ever get ten minutes with Joel Embiid on this podcast, I'm asking him if he regrets not making time to be in Uncut Gems like he was originally supposed to. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be was instead of Kevin Garnett, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I think K, KG's better. Well, uh, KG's just intense in a way that MB. I, I'm. It would have been. It would have been a different energy. Mm-hmm. Would have been a different energy, and also like what the weekend stuff doesn't play as well if it's like modern times instead of when it was. You know, like Cocaine Weekend is like kind of a key point to that movie. Regardless, all right. WM, jerseys you want hung up in your office? Here's I have an answer for it. men and I have for women. Men. Okay. I want a signed Ricky Rubio Spanish national team jersey. Good. Good answer. Okay. okay. And the other one, I want a Becky Hammond Liberty jersey signed. Okay. Those are my answers. Mine, both Homer picks. I would like a vintage sunburst, the iconic purple with the long orange sunburst. Uh, not that jersey. Um Charles Barkley, 93 era Suns jersey. Mm-hmm. Not because I think, like, he's not my favorite son by any means, or I don't love him any more than anyone else, but that that Suns jersey is just the best one we've ever had here, and that team was so good, made the finals, all that. Women's side would be a Tarasi UConn jersey. I love that pick. I kind of wish I had thought of that. That or, like, a Sue Bird UConn. Or Maya Moore, Yukon. Mm-hmm. I'll take Tarasi since it does have the local, you know. Got to have the local uh, decorations for the podcast. Otherwise, I get yelled at. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. Shout out to our other employers. All right, uh, moving on. We have a awkward. There's no way to get transition to this. The big NBA story right now, aside from the season starting, is that Miles Bridges... Um, has been issued a criminal summons. Um, the alleged mm-hmm. incident, this is first, I think, best, uh, most outlined reported by Baxter Holmes, occurred on October 6th in Charlotte. Uh, Bridges is accused of, quote, throwing billiard balls at his ex-vehicle while the children were inside of it, his children, smashing the windshield and leaving dents in the car, according to the summons. He's accused in the summons of also threatening her if she told the police he would take everything from her and withhold child support, and that he, quote, allowed his current girlfriend to yell, scream, and kick the car's victim's car while the children were inside it, end quote. So, look, Brendan, Miles Bridges, who, by the way, I, I just saw this come through, has put has changed his Twitter avatar to a picture of Johnny Depp leaving the courtroom 
saluting, which is reprehensible in its own right if you go into everything that the the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing went into and what he's signaling there is disgusting. The way the NBA handled this with him just giving him a basically a slap on the wrist and allowing him to come back and allow him to be with the Hornets this year is reprehensible. There's no way around this. They handled this disgustingly. They have allowed someone who clearly like with these alleged incidents, she should just not be playing basketball right now. He should be out of the league until this is. I mean, all even up. I mean, like I know you're up. trying to be careful, but he agreed to a settlement for the original stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we don't necessarily have to, you know, this this new he, thing is is un is unconfirmed, but what he did originally is evidence enough for a much stricter penalty than what he got. I think. He got a 30-game suspension without pay, 20 games already served. He was set to miss 10 games last season, and then he still was able to sign a $7.9 million one-year deal to return to the Hornets. I understand that $7.9 million is significantly less than what he would have made had he not had all this, these, this done this stuff, but that's still $8 million before taxes that he's making. That's in a lot. That's a lot of money. He said I, he, he had this apology that I don't think you can take seriously now. There's nothing about this where this guy should just not be in the NBA. This guy should not be with the Hornets. There's there's no... The NBA also should just be embarrassed by this. The Hornets should be embarrassed by this by bringing him back and welcoming him back. The NBA should be embarrassed by how they handled this. This is an embarrassment for the league. For a league that claims that it like cares about women and cares about being progressive, mm-hmm. this is not that. This is just... This is not... This whole thing is utter nonsense by the league nonsense yeah the nba i think has benefited for a long time by maybe being not the nfl when it comes to this stuff and getting to kind of play second fiddle to reckoning with violence and violence against women especially you know we think of greg hardy or we think of adrian peterson or we think of ray rice joe mixon whoever because they're big football players and that sport is the one we just associate with these types of bad things but between i mean you don't even have to go that far but you know kevin porter is still his his status is still up in the air miles bridges now there's numerous players darren collison Derek rose guys like that go way further back than just recently that the league largely stayed out of the affairs with and it's also a difference between what the league officially does which i do agree probably should be reconsidered if this is where they where they ended up but it's also the league kind of lowercase l in terms of the culture of what's acceptable and what's not right like it shouldn't be the case necessarily that certain players are welcomed back the way that they are, that media members who report on the sport frame things the way that they do, that so much of the coverage around Kevin Porter was about, you know, whether the Rockets could dump his salary. It's just, that's not, that's not what's going on here. And I, I think the NFL certainly is regressive in a lot of ways and, and just kind of protects itself in a lot of, of similar ways, but there is a certain level of like confrontation of their own role in all of this that they went through that I think basketball has been trying to avoid. And that just can't, that can't continue because the NBA is no exception to any of this. They just kind of want to make it seem like they are. 100%. 
And again, this is someone who, after this news has come out, not even 24 hours since the news has come out, changes avatar to make a very specific point. That's yeah. not someone that is remorseful. That is not someone who <clears throat> cares about being a better person. They're trying to well, signal and- something disgusting. That's what that is. The other parts of this to me, one, in terms of the lowercase L league cultural stuff that I was talking about, just look at the replies over the past few months since Miles Bridges has been tweeting more. There's numerous NBA players, um, and I don't want to call any specific ones out because I would want to say all of them if I was going to say any of them, but players have treated his return like a, like a celebration. Mm-hmm. And so that either says to me that the culture of the league, culture of basketball in this country is that stuff like this is overlooked, that there is a conspiratorial nature to it, a la Johnny Depp, where people think that he's sort of being unfairly framed. But as we said with the original settlement that he reached, it doesn't fully seem like that's fair to say that he was framed. I mean, he, he's sort of admitting to guilt. If he was fully innocent, you t- tend to see guys fight that to the end. Same thing with somebody like Kobe Bryant, right? We sort of all agreed that because of the settlement that he reached, we probably can assume some level of guilt there. It's not legal guilt, but it's it's cultural, like we just sort of think that type of guilt. And players don't seem to think that. The other part of it that I think matters here is that the Charlotte Hornets, who were clearly uncomfortable with all of this, Mitch Kupchak gave a press conference who and just like couldn't even really explain what had done, what had been done, you know, and Michael Jordan never really had to answer for it. They've now changed ownership. We'll see if those guys step forward and, and have more to say here. But the Hornets, I don't want to give them cover, but what are they supposed to do? This is a thing that should be handled by the league. I think the Hornets, to a degree, they probably should have just cut him, right? Mm-hmm. We can agree on that. That's the ideal reaction. I think beyond that, are they supposed to institute a heavier suspension than the league did? That doesn't happen, you know? And so it's not just that the league, that the league screwed this up. It's that they were they've set themselves up to be the end-all be-all. And it's, again, very similar to the NFL, where if you create that level of responsibility for yourself, you have to nail it. And I guess to come full circle to the point you originally made, at every single juncture here, they've they've just botched their response. They haven't come out strongly against what he's doing, and they haven't punished him heavily at all. It's disgusting. All of this is reprehensible. I don't... I, I just... I think the league, the Hornets, someone who actually... who. The Hornets could if they wanted to, I'm sure. Don't play him basketball games. Even when that suspension is up, he shouldn't play after that. I have no interest in seeing him play basketball. None. None. Mm-hmm. Gross. And that brings to your point, Les, I, I, maybe I'm being an analyst. I wouldn't expect like this to be handled super well by anybody. I, that's the other part of this that I think is maybe the biggest bummer. It's just hard to expect anyone to handle this in the way it maybe should be and that's like a precedent thing right which i think just leads you to to you there's no there's no place else to go once you think through all of the the history and how it could be handled than to say we just need to rewrite the rules of 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 what is normal 
because if if the league is determining that according to precedent according to the bylaws of whatever and this and that and what the players association will or won't fight back on that they come to the conclusion that somebody with all of this going on should be suspended for what amounts to 30 games then something's wrong with the evaluation process there and that's what needs to change so if that's what it if if that's what it is then that's what it is but it's it's kind of pathetic to hide behind well you know we don't have a rule for this we'll make one change what what the rule is you know that can't that that's just such an easy out and it's it's kind of time to stop you know hiding behind that couldn't have ended that better all right Teresa witherspoon in wnba news is the new head coach of the chicago sky brendan this is, I think, a really great hire by this guy. James Wade left their team middle of last season, goes to work, I believe, for the Toronto Raptors as an assistant. This is an organization that hasn't quite had. It's been at its best since they, they had Candace Parker and had the title and everything. Uh, it's been a little dicey since then. But Teresa Witherspoon, who is, by all accounts, like a great assistant in New Orleans with the Pelicans for a couple of years, I, I don't think there's any doubt that she's probably going to be a very effective coach. This is someone I think thought highly of in both leagues. This feels like for a team that is going to have probably a process here to get back to where they want to be and, and need to build something here post-Wade, I think this is a really great hire. This seems on paper like a, a slam dunk hire for, for them to bring her in. I think it is. To add a couple more things... They are now also separating out the coach and GM roles, which was one of the things that Wade was heavily criticized for. And I think even maybe some level of player kind of alluded to it at the time. It might have been former players or retired players. I don't know if anyone on the sky currently made this point, but he really gutted the, gutted the future asset trove of this team to get Marina Mabry and do some of the moves that he had been doing with a very win-now perspective. But there was a mass exodus of Courtney Vandersloot, Candace Parker, and then Ali Quigley retiring that left them a little bit desolate in the way of talent and needing to kind of reset things. And so a win-now team with all of its players who left in free agency and one guy calling the shots, it's easy to see how it kind of fell apart. So I think having a a well-regarded I mean this is one of the legends of women's basketball as a player like set aside anything she's gotten to do as a coach since then she was also a head coach at Louisiana Tech in the uh, in women's college basketball prior to joining the the Pelicans so she's done a lot as a coach but she's also a legendary player I think she's going to have the respect of that locker room she has the experience that we would expect her to do a good job she was a finalist for the Mercury job so she you know clearly has kind of been heading this way but she's also going to just be the coach, which I think matters. I mean, we've seen that time and again in basketball, whether it's you know Doc Rivers or Stan Van Gundy or James Wade. So um, that that all feels good for this franchise that really needs it because they they have new ownership group, but they've been perennial, perennially underinvested in, and uh, disappointingly so for how big of a market that they reside in. So they need a, a little bit of a fresh start. Hopefully, she gives it to them on the Pelican side. She was kind of known as as Zion's go-to person. So when you think about some of the training staff changes that they've made to try to create a better environment for Zion, I think David Griffin, Chris, going a lot more out of his way to publicly not criticize Zion, but I think be a little bit more blunt and a little bit more pointed with 
his expectations of Zion. Like he, he made headlines recently. Griffin did for saying this is the first summer he's noticed Zion take his body seriously. You know, that's, that's a compliment, but it's also a little bit of a veiled, you know, insult too. And so there are some ways in which I think the organization is still trying to meet him halfway. They obviously didn't trade him and whatever, but He's now going to have to, she wasn't going to be on the coaching staff this year regardless. So just to clarify that she was, she was let go in June after the season ended, but just to kind of, I guess, pick, pick back up in case people didn't realize that that's the other element here is a weatherspoonless season for Zion in new Orleans, which will be another interesting angle. What to you is the biggest need in, in, Chicago for Weatherspoon in this coaching job in their roster construction with whomever's going to run the front office. What What is the big need or what is the big offseason question for this guy? Well, they did. They, they kind of answered it because they extended Kalia Copper before the end of the season. So they have her for two more years beyond this. Mabry is under contract for that same length of time. Isabel Harrison missed the whole year with injuries, so she will likely be back. Courtney Williams is a free agent, um, and a lot, a lot of the rest of their roster is is fairly young. Alana Smith is a free agent, too. I would think she could probably come back if she wants to. She's probably going to win. Uh, well, no. I think she did win the most improved player or was a finalist. Um, so... I think that the makings of a pretty solid team is here. I think that they need a little bit more size in the wing and front court um, to to play some better defense and and just be a little more balanced of a team because they ran that three-guard lineup out there this year and didn't really have a backup center they could rely on and, and everything else. So if they could just get a little bit more two-way forward depth, I think that would probably make them better. I mean, they were a pretty good team this year. So if they're just healthy, run it back, a little more stability, coach doesn't leave midseason i think they can be kind of right on track again yeah uh some lottery luck i think would do them some well too obviously they i think this this could be a team burning with the right young player coming in you know i i think this is a team that like maybe not a title contender right away but i i think is in a spot where you could be like okay like we we could see some but now here's the pro i did i forgot this until i looked at tankathon uh their first run pick goes to dallas yeah, they don't have a lottery pick. They're not even in the lottery anyway. But then their their draft pick yeah. goes to Dallas. So yeah. So but being like the fifth pick going to Dallas is uh, yeah. suboptimal for them. So never mind. Disregard what I said. Thanks a lot, James Wade. Well, that was the Mabry trade. Bit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that make that makes their life a little bit harder because if you're looking at five in this draft, Lee Edwards, Georgia Moore, Rakea Jackson, Camila Cordoso, J.C. Sheldon. Mm-hmm. Like there's some somebody like Jackson would have been really good. Kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's just an athletic kind of scoring wing. Yeah. Well, tough for the Chicago sky. Good luck to Teresa Weatherspoon. I I, the sky being good also just feels like a dub for the WNBA, if I'm being honest, because it's it's like they don't play in like the United Center or anything like that. Like they don't have like the biggest platform. I believe they play in a college gymnasium, if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. But like this is a big market. Like this is a, a team you could be like, there's there's something here. I think if you could continually get this right and make it sustainable, it's also gonna it's not gonna happen this year. But if you get the right kind of star in there, I mean I think we saw this with Candace a little bit to some degree. I think you can really get something really beautiful out of this in this city with its tube tradition, with its culture. I think there's something really there if you can 
galvanized in a way that maybe things petered out with with James Wade. So I'm I I would mm-hmm. like just this guy to to be maybe a little bit better run. Um, mm-hmm. Boy, Wings are in a really good spot, I guess. Five and nine, pretty good. The Wings, pretty good. They've yeah. had first round picks forever. Yeah, I. They're a mess to me. They confuse me, but you know. But like, I mean, I just they were fun this year, but it's just like they can't even seem to develop the rookies that they have. They've like cut top picks so often because they just keep drafting at the top and they're running out of room. But we'll see. They could find I don't not that anyone should use with the top four players in this draft, but if they could package a bunch of stuff to get up higher, we team to do it. The draft to do it. This would be the draft mm-hmm. to do. You're not getting like, I guess. Do they even really? Do they totally need another big? I kind of feel like they need a guard. I don't know. We'll have to when we get to WNBA draft time. They're going to be, I think, a fun team to consider. All right, Chicago Sky done. Moving on, WNBA Finals. Uh, Brendan, the Las Vegas Aces are going to win the championship. I think. I think that this is where we're headed. I think the Aces pretty much put and took any doubt out of my mind, at least, with their Game 2 performance, just doubled up on the Liberty coming out the gate. There's that photo going around of Asia Wilson screaming and flexing, and there's, like, John Quill Jones and Brianna Stewart and Laney all looking dejected and just, like, what do we even... Like, what did we do to... Like, how did we get here? This series Mm -hmm. feels over. This feels like the Aces are clearly just the best team in the world. They're... They looked amazing in Game 2. Asia Wilson, I think, maybe has the, the crown of best player alive. Like we're just we're just kind of there to me. I think we're just we're just there. With this series feels very much over, even if it doesn't end in Game Three on Sunday. I liked what Becky Hammond said too about Asia, just sort of acknowledging kind of the elephant in the room of the fire that Asia's feeling right now for you know some of the commentary around how she underperformed in this particular matchup in the regular season, as well as just um, you know I think. Becky Hammond reference finishing third in MVP voting. There's a lot of things at play here, but I mean, I just think that, that this ace's performance and really throughout the first two games, it just, maybe there was only one super team here. Yeah. It feels, it, it feels, it, it feels like that, right? Like even mm-hmm. if we look at the Liberty's talent and say, Brandon Stewart, superstar, like Laney superstar in her role. I think Sabrina ha- has, the capability to get to a place where she could be even better than she is now, but maybe she's not quite there. John Quill Jones is probably best described as a superstar in her role. The aces just a have been there a little bit more. Maybe there is a cohesion factor and B like Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young have all just kind of played at the level you needed them to in a way that none of the Liberty players, including Brandon Stewart, have, haven't. Like, no one on the Liberty side has really played at the level you needed them to, and everyone on the Aces has. Every single one. Maybe of them. Jones. Maybe you would say JJ has. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, she was you limited to 30 minutes in this game with some fouls, and then in the game first game she had uh, the injury absence for a few minutes, so she hasn't even been able to, to be out there for the full for the full slate. I mean, I think if you're being reasonable and balanced in this one, like I think Chelsea Gray's passing in this game was on another level, just completely unreal. 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 I think Plum making some kind of ludicrous threes, especially early went a long way for them. But 
like always, I mean, the Liberty also just missed shots. Like they were eight of 35 from three. Benajah Laney started the game. zero of three from the field with some makeable looks. Everybody missed makeable threes on this team. And just some, not even threes, but just some head scratching layups. I think Vandersloot, Stewart, and Jones all missed layups that I counted. Um, and then the, the big storyline of the game is Courtney Vandersloot. The way that Plum especially, and I, I would say especially in the second half, just started helping off Vandersloot as if she was what she is, which is not much of a scoring threat, changed the out, changed the the momentum of the game. You know, New York started to come back toward the end of the second quarter, and then early in the third quarter, they extended their lead again because they got even more aggressive playing off of Vandersloot defensively. And it's not just, it's like, it's two things. It's one, because of her size, her inconsistency as a shooter, some of that stuff, you can play off of Vandersloot because it's hard for her to make herself available being so small. Again, she's not always going to shoot threes. But then it's like, even once she does catch the ball, she can't make you pay. So it just, it really does present this thing where unless she has the ball in her hands as the point guard, there's really not a lot for her to do. And the size of the Liberty defense makes it so that even her being the point guard isn't going to work. So I think we will definitely see a more aggressive Vandersloot in game three, I think, no matter what happens. But the series might ultimately go in the direction of somebody like Kayla Thornton or Maureen Johannes needing to play more minutes than Vandersloot and at least just be a threat as an offensive player. Even if that that substitute, that adjustment from Sandy Brondello isn't somebody that's going to be a good defender. Even just having an actual shooting threat, an actual cutting threat, an actual finishing threat on the court is going to go a long way because Vandersloot's kind of checking none of those boxes for them right now. What is the, is there a path to you, Brendan, where the Liberty can make this competitive again, can get back into this? Is there, is there any path here where they can make this, they, they can win game three and we can feel like, okay, maybe there's a shot here or does this, this feel over well, to you? The one thing I would say is all the games have been lopsided all the way throughout the regular season too. So I think that's kind of just par for the course. I would say if the Liberty can just have a better start, it would go a long way because I think we still know that if the aces have to get bogged down in the half court, there are going to be limitations to what they're able to do. You know, like Kia Stokes made two threes in this game, which was kind of crazy, including one where Kelsey Plum passed up an open layup to shoot it to the corner for Stokes. And she rewarded that with a made three, but they're in the half court that fit is a little bit harder asia is not going to have as much space you know we're, we're going to see some of those problems start to creep up again so just don't miss a bunch early and turn the ball over early and allow the aces to pile up points in transition right away and then you're having to play catch up the whole game i think if we saw a game start a little bit differently that would go a long way and yeah, I think that there are some lineup things that can be done depending, you know, matching up with whatever Vegas is throwing out there that could allow the Liberty to have some advantages. Whereas in the first two games, it just has felt like they're constantly trying to react to Vegas and just don't really have a lot of answers. But what do you think? I mean, it sounds like you think it's done. 
I'd, I, this just felt like one of those games where it just felt definitive. And if the Liberty's path is just they need to make threes, like make more shots and get this game into a half-court setting, like that could happen, but is it going to happen three more times against a team as good as the Aces? I would lean no. If they, like even if this was seven games and they were going back home, it's just like the, their path feels like it has to be one specific thing. And I don't know how likely that path is right now. And like we've you you hit on this like two rounds ago with this. Sabrina or not Sabrina, Brianna Stewart just looks like a little bit tired. She looks like she just is carrying such a burden right now on both ends. And we're not seeing her to her best. And if they're and if Asia Wilson's playing like this mm-hmm. and and Brianna Stewart is not playing like the player we know she can be and is then what's the path for the Liberty? What is the path aside from like Sabrina has a game where she goes unconscious? Like, is that going to happen three times? I just would think, no, this series just feels like the door has been. Well, I don't think it has to. I don't think the same thing has to happen three times, but I just think if they could get a little bit more out of their offense early and maybe control the pace a little bit, like the aces just haven't even had to adjust. So it's not so much that like, okay, Sabrina has to score 30 for the next three games. I just think the liberty, the aces are just playing their game and you can't let them do that. So I just think scoring early would go a long way. I do think running things through Laney early tends to be good for them. And she just happened to miss this game. So that's a matchup that they can work. Cause I don't think Vegas really has an answer for her. So what happens if she scores 12 in the first quarter in game one? Well, then the defense adjusts, and maybe then it's not as hard on Stewie. Maybe there is a little bit more space. Um, and then if Vandersloot plays a little bit less, which I think might be for the best, then you know that's another adjustment that Vegas has to kind of respond to. So I think it's more about that. It's not so much that I don't think the Liberty have answers and that they just have to play this kind of desperate basketball. It's just that I think a few things clicking in their direction in the first quarter from the jump in and a home game three, you could see the whole game feel a little bit different. It just feels like the aces are exactly the speed they want to be playing. The ball is going exactly where it wants. The shot distribution is perfect. Everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Like that can't happen. So you have to at least do something to mix that up. Yeah, I think the precision of the aces feels like maybe the best way to describe their advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Just that everything with them right now, it's just it's just locked in. And that speaks mm-hmm. to, I, th- I, I think that speaks to both the fact that this is a group that's been together before and just how well, how well good of a coach Becky Hammond is, but I think also to, mm-hmm. to bring this back, to wrap this up, I think what Asia, I think maybe one of Asia Wilson's greatest strengths and one of the best things about her as a player is that she does give them this really defined structure to just build everything around. And like I think everything that they do stems from the fact that they have her. And the, maybe this is just because you're one of the Liberty. Maybe it's just like, hey, this roster does just have some things that don't quite work. I, I just look at this and think, I don't know what the path is here for the Liberty to maybe pull this off. They've, they've looked out. I think they've just looked like, they look like a worse team than I, I think I thought they were coming into the series is maybe the best way to put it. I think that in terms of Stewart and, you know, we can kind of do the postmortem on New York after the series if they do lose it, but they have in Ionescu and Johannes, two of the best shooters in the, in the WNBA. They have maybe the best stretch five in the league. They have Benajah Laney, who is a fantastic three and D plus type of player. And yet I don't think they have enough shooting. 
yeah. you know? And so Stewie, it just feels like it's, it's clogged too much. And it's crazy to think that that can be possible when it feels like Asia is able to get enough space to score when she has a non-shooting center and Chelsea Gray is not like a, a great shooter either. And a lot of their guards prefer to attack rather than just spot up, but somehow they develop that space because they play fast. The players who do shoot, take them aggressively and then with the liberty it just feels like too often it's it's a little uncertain it's a little bit i waited a beat too long and now there's three defenders in my face and um you know i won't take my victory lap but when we had sabrina on the beginning of the season i said i think closing games with sabrina and then kayla thornton and vandersloot's place was the ultimate destiny that this team was going to have to confront they, it just, it's not going to be enough two-way players and shooters for it to work with Vandersloot, I think, against the best teams, and that's what we're seeing. Brendan, you're just very smart, I think, is, is what I want to mm. tell you. Well, hopefully I'm right on the NBA. We'll see. You're, NBA might be a little more wild, I think, but you're very smart. I think you're smarter than me, is what I would say. You called it, too. You, you said the same thing right after I did. You were like, yeah, uh, the Vandersloot thing. So you, you get credit. The, the, we'll just revisionist the, history there. Sure. We both I mean, said no, it. we don't have to. Look, here's the thing. Everything, everything you said about the liberty spacing, like, feels right, and yet you're all right. It's just, I don't, I don't, I don't totally get it. Like, it doesn't totally like comprehend that this is the reality. It might just be that they've only played together for forty games. You know, I mean, that might be yeah. it. Because it's like it, we think about the aces. Oh, it's year two. No, it's not really year two. It's year like. For some of these players, you know, I think Jackie Young was drafted in 2019. Uh, Chelsea Gray joined recently, but Kelsey Plum, I think, was drafted in 2018. I believe Asia was... I think Kelsey Plum might have been 17 and Asia was 18. Like, that, those three have played together for a half decade, you know? And none of these Liberty players have ever touched the court together outside of overseas. I mean, it could just be that. They've also just like that aces group, just like uh, we don't need to get into the specifics, but they've been through some stuff. <laughs> they might have created some problems for themselves. It might be a more accurate way to put it with. Well, there's there. But yeah, but there's also some of it where it's just like they had they've seen some things from players that their organization allegedly wasn't doing bad things to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. what I would say. How to say that. Yeah, I mean, I All think, right. but it's just, but it's everything. And they've adjusted. They had one coach. They pivoted to a new style. They won with that. Like, I mean, that stuff matters, you know? And I think we're seeing that. Mm -hmm. They just look way more confident. Yeah. Way, way more confident. All right. That's going to be it for this episode. This part of this episode of Just Basketball Show now, Sacramento Kings preview time. Moving on to the Sacramento Kings. Brendan, a team that took a big step forward last year. Mike Brown put on the Jets, the fucking Jets, and and they extended up in the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference. Obviously, did not make a playoff run, but getting there in the way they did, pushing the Warriors as far as they did, I think last season has to go down as a massive step forward for Sacramento. Mm -hmm. The way we do these previews, if you're tuning in for the first time, we're gonna go most important player. Player we'll be talking about at the end of the season. We're gonna be talking about best lineup. Best case, worst case, and over-under. To start with the most important player, Brendan, I went De'Aaron Fox. I, I think it has to be De'Aaron Fox because he was at the engine of so much of what they did last year. And if you go into his numbers, you go look at everything that he did last year, 
this is someone who had an absolutely bonkers shooting season last year for for the mm-hmm. outline of his career and as a guard. Just going to run through a couple of these numbers because they are, uh, frankly, like really crazy when you look at them. So effective field goal percentage, 55.9%. That's in the 80th percentile of guards at cleaning the glass. That was 3.5% better than he's ever done in his career. At the rim, shot 77% at the rim. That's a big man number. That's 100 percentile of point guards. That's like pretty solid big man number. That's crazy. Short mid-range, 90th percentile in terms of accuracy, 53% on those shots. He's 51% overall on mid-range shots, which is just like an, an elite, elite number, particularly his his volume. This is mm-hmm. an offensive season where he was excellent without hitting a lot of threes. He was a 33% three-point shooter last year. These numbers did drop off in the playoffs. He dropped to 61% at the rim in the playoffs against Golden State, 48% in the short mid, 45% of mid-rangers overall. Brendan, I think a lot. I, I think a lot of what the Kings did feels real, but in terms of their ceiling and their offense being as good as possible, I think it's dependent somewhat on Fox being this kind of offensive scorer again, being this unguardable in the middle of the floor. That was such an unlock, so much for everything else they were going to do. He was my most important player too. I think De'Aaron Fox to me might be the single biggest was it real guy in the NBA this season. Just when you look at not only what he did, which when you really dig in, it was an aberration. I think especially the at-rim stuff. Um, But he's been trending in this direction. But then to couple that with the overall performance of their offense, and we'll talk about another guy later that I think Fox sort of helped unlock. And I think you could say that about a lot of their players. It feels like pretty close to a best case scenario. And I don't mean that obviously as a knock. The guy made the all-star team. His his team was a top four seed in his conference. That doesn't go away just because I say that it was the best case, but he's 25 going on 26. Guys don't keep jumping multiple levels forever. And so maybe he does it again. That's an open question, but... It also would feel a little crazy to think he's going to get better than that. So all of that combines to make me wonder about do those other players feed off of him quite as well? And if not, who and how do they step up if it's not him driving it? And especially in their half-court offense because that feels like sort of the biggest... Again, I don't want to say fluke, but the, the biggest surprise of what they did last year they were the second i think second or fourth best half court offense in the entire league last year and that's just not what we ever would have thought of for the talent that they had any of the players you would never have guessed that they would be able to do that and a lot of it is because he was just a freight train in the paint with the floater game and the at rim finishing together and so if any of that starts to leak You're talking about a team that does not have a good defense, has no pathway to having a good defense this season, and is getting a little bit worse on offense, especially in the half court. And Mm -hmm. the ingredients that made up the fairy tale season start to kind of crumble away. And so I think you're absolutely right. It it sort of has to be him, especially because they didn't change a lot. Uh, Nothing changed. They're basically counting on it being him. Yeah, I mean, I I think 
they're someone who deserves credit in this conversation. And I, you know, I haven't, I haven't totally seen everything he said about this guy, but like Jordy Fernandez comes in and he was he was the a the number one assistant in the NBA GM survey. I don't know if you saw that, but he's like mm. the architect of this offense. And I think there is something to the way that they played with Sabonis as the fulcrum in the center, with the shooting, with the kind of way they wanted to play, and the style of guys they went after that did allow for more space for Fox. And he's so quick. To his credit, like this is one of the fastest players, if not the fastest in the league. He can get to his spots with a little bit of room. And if you put all the spacing and pace out there, you can see how this can unlock a guy like that. Mm. He's, I think, definitely benefited from that to where, like, I, I think some of the leap is explainable. But even if he just has, like, a little bit worse luck on some of this stuff, it just feels... Like, I don't know what their evolution would be. Like, there's a guy I'm going to bring up for, for God, we're going to talk at the end of the season that I think, like, is someone they're talking about publicly as a way to give someone someone more to do and maybe take a little bit of the pressure off of Fox. Like, almost like they kind of understand what last year was. But, like, I even if I like Malik Monk, I like Kevin Herter, I like Sabonis. Yeah. It's kind of on Fox to like Davion Mitchell's not stepping up to do this. It's on Fox to still be the engine in in the way he was last year with a really high usage rate and making a lot of the shots. A lot of teams are kind of pushing their guards away from at this point in time. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, unless you can't make threes, which I think even with the great season last year, he was only at thirty three percent. So that's just a given. I think that that's not going to be a part of his game, right? So. You just have to operate with the understanding that the inside stuff has to be there for him. And I think to the Sabonis point, like he also adapted in a similar way. He took 66% of his shots at the rim, which was a career high, and he basically abandoned threes, abandoned mid-range shots even to a degree. Really only like a quarter of his shots came from there. And that really helped him. He was able to feast on the offensive glass. He was able to be more of a playmaker and just shoot less overall. And a lot of these things that, that really helped him highest shooting foul rate of his career, getting to the line more Sabonis did. So, but a lot of that's predicated upon the, the create the advantages and space and fear that Fox is able to create. Um, and so, yeah, he, he is, it was a big debate all of last year. And I think the playoffs kind of proved that it's Fox. He's the best player on this team. He has to be great. He's the one who does things that are the most irreplaceable. And it's all tied together by him being at, at, at a very, very top level. I mean, we, I, I don't know how much we're going to talk about Sabonis the rest of the way. I think he's the ov- obvious other one. We talked about this when the extension came down, Chris. But I, I have a lot of reservations about how good of a team you can be with DeMontis Sabonis as a top two player for you. And maybe him being on the court at all. And that really sucks. I I like to be optimistic. What I will say is this version of the team does not maximize DeMontis Sabonis to win at the very, very highest levels. And I think that this year might be where we start to see that, which is a big reason why I didn't pick him as their most important guy, because I think last year might have been the ceiling for Sabonis. Yeah, it's why I think to move on to the next category, the guy that I think we're going to talk with the end of the season, they're they're throwing a lot at him. They're talking about him as someone who used to do more on ball. But in my interest, Keegan Murray, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's your pick as well. Okay, okay, he's your pick as well. What what are you intrigued about as far as Keegan Murray goes year two and, and what we're looking at here with him? Yeah, I think the team element, the, the context that you talked about is a, 
big reason. He is sort of the only guy here that feels like he can take that step and and be more for them as an on-ball offensive creator. You know, they have Davion Mitchell. It's not going to be him. Chris Duarte, he's an older 26 years old already, already on his second team, probably not going to be him. You know, it, it it's a lot that's just going to be Keegan Murray's responsibility. But as a player, I think it's kind of all there. Like this is a guy who just scored 41 points in summer league. You know, he really got everybody's attention by going out and, and proving it in a way that yes, it's summer league, but few players even still do that. Right. Like that matters. Uh, I think the footwork balance, strength, everything you kind of look for, for him to do as a six, eight ball handler, it's, it's there, you know, it's, it's right there. And I think, it's easy to see him, to me, in terms of the context of this team, sliding into some of what we saw Kevin Herter do, coming off of screens, playing the two-man game with DeMontis Sabonis, again, boosting that half-court offense, maybe being one of the guys that doesn't have to be so connected to De'Aaron Fox in order to succeed. Um, maybe he's somebody with Malik Monk who can help get some scoring going in that second unit. Maybe the stars have to play less minutes. All these types of things start to be possible if Keegan Murray really does take that leap. And I don't know if he'll be running a bunch of pick and roll or, you know, taking the ball up the court and transition and whatnot based on the fact that they have a lot of other guys to do that. But I trust him to do that, you know, 10, 20% more this year and be really efficient at it and make us feel a lot better about his future even than we already do by the end of the season. There is, this is a guy that last year took twice as many threes as he did twos, like close to that. He set the rookie record for made threes with 206. There's already like a path in a, in a world where he's like already like a good offensive player. But the way the Kings talk about him, and I think to, you know, everything you're outlining here, the stuff we think he's capable of, there's just like a very direct path to him getting to do more. And you have Monty McNair talking about key. This is a, a quote from this is from an athletic thing uh, that I was reading in, in prep for the show, and he said this at media day, according to the athletic. Quote: Keegan is going to be a huge part of how far we can go the next year. So now for him, we saw him in summer league. Can he take a, on a little bit more of a scoring role? Can he be more aggressive? That's going to be a big step for Keegan. We've got big hopes for him. I don't think there's any secret about that, and he's got big hopes for himself. The Kings' path. Barring like a really aggressive trade for a guy that Which they probably still have to make, they probably still have to it's make probably that all, and Murray, right? Right, but it's also like they're in a spot where like if they're going to get they they're not going to be able necessarily I think to get into these bidding wars with other teams, right? Like they're not in a spot where like if they and the Jazz or they and the Thunder want the same guy for whatever reason, sure. They like they and they don't because like Keegan would be the blue chip prospect the other team would be asking for and you can't exactly give him up like they're in a kind of a no it's spot it's in that, that it's that next tier of, of star but I think you're right the the best path is for Murray to just become kind of a third star so I I uh, I think you're absolutely right there um, he also just has a mentality thing which I think is what that mm-hmm. quote kind of speaks to you know we talked a lot I, I think the fact that he earned the trust of the coaching staff so quickly last season should tell us a lot it's not just for, that for oh Mike, for yeah for Mike Brown to just be like yeah. our guy big deal big deal. 
And to be a, a defensive-minded coach, and of course the team last year had to adapt. It wasn't exactly a, a trademark Mike Brown team by any means, but still to... For best. Did you see the... Did, just the second time I'm going to bring up the GM survey, did you see that he was voted the, the coach with the best offense? <laughs> no, but okay. Made me sure. Laugh. Made me laugh. Because Jordy, that's, uh, that's, that's Jordy Fernandez has the best offense, and I think Mike Brown would tell you that. Yes, exactly. Um, but so the other part of the mentality thing, which we talked about a lot in the playoffs, is this guy was probably the fourth most confident, comfortable, aggressive player on their team last postseason behind Sabonis, Fox, and Monk. Like, Kevin Herter couldn't make a shot to save his life. Harrison Barnes is Harrison Barnes, you know? And it's just not his game to hoist up a million shots and you know he's in his 30s like that's just not him but but Keegan Murray had had no discomfort at all sliding into that role so I think when you just sort of boil down who he is as a person and the the obvious talent there I don't know if it'll be this year that he jumps all the way to kind of like oh you know is this guy their third piece type of thing but he's well on his way and I think we will start to see him lean into more of that kind of star stuff in year two um, partially because like you said he kind of has to you know there's there's some regression candidates here that need to be outweighed by him getting better and doing more he also just has the size right Mm -hmm. like legit size yeah like legitimately a big wing scorer that can shoot at volume from three like this that's not something you can just like write off as something is useful. And like I think in year two, I'm looking if I'm looking at one part of his shooting, I you know mid range. Okay, like Fox has kind of got that area of the floor mapped out. We've talked about that. I want to see him at the rim. Sixty three percent at the rim last year as a forward. It's pretty below average for that position. I you know I I think another year of weight training of being stronger and he is twenty three. He's got the frame where like I kind of just want him to make more shots at the rim than that. And, and be a little bit more efficient there and round out his game and make the th- and make the threat of him driving instead of just letting it fly. I think that's just a way to that being a more potent and nightmare thing for the defense. And let's see what the creation looks like. I mean, I, I can imagine there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him, whether it's Trey Lyles, whether it's Sabonis. I, I think there's a world, Brendan, where he gets like a lot of he could get a lot of dump off assists to a big in the dunker spot just because he's driving instead of necessarily hoisting all the time Mm -hmm. there's there's one other name there's there's one other name um i think we gotta bring up here just because he's been like one of the stars of social media um based on how he's shooting and that's sasha venkov have you seen the videos of this venezkov excuse me have you seen this guy shooting Okay, so he's 28. Sometimes he's I feel like we're on a different internet, Chris. You had no idea about Kai Jones, but you're like really breaking down Sasha Vazenkov shooting well, clips. Like, so what is happening? So here's the thing. I have a dear friend of mine who I'm not going to name, but um, he, or, you know, he's a Cavs fan. This is this 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 is the guy the Cavs attached to the sent to the Kings to get the pick that became Isaiah Mobley. And my buddy saw a video of this guy shooting and Darren Fox talking about it, and it's just sick. It just becomes sick that the Cavs just like threw him away for nothing. That's so there was a Cleveland connection. That's how that yeah, arose. Okay. It's all, you know, Got like it. the meme where it's like the it's it's always Ohio, but this guy can shoot everywhere. He's he is mm. just gonna like light it up from three. He's gonna just be like 
like I don't know if he's like going to be like anything super high above like a George Niang or something like that. But like he's fourth in the rookie poll because he's like an old rookie. He's absolutely just going to light it up from three, and it's just like another plus shooter for the Kings to just have out there around Fox. Like that can't hurt, you know. And he's like, I just think he's going to just be like a, a weird contributing Euro rookie. And I think the internet, I think we're just going to have some fun with this. I think he's just going to be like a random internet guy that people kind of fall in love with. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. He shot 38% on five threes a game for Olympiacos last year. The season prior to that, he was at 40% on four a game. Like if nothing else, he is a shooter. Uh, we were talking about Marine Johannes uh, and, and kind of comps for her on the WNBA finals game one recap that we did for Tuesday's episode. And I think he is kind of on that same list of just circus basketball. That's very fun to watch. And I think, you know, just hit ahead threes, trail threes, kind of collapsed the defense, kick out stuff. He will be the beneficiary of a lot of what they do. So he was not on my mind because I try to go young with these and he's the, the you know, the rookie who's 28 because he's European and didn't come over for a while guy. But um, I, I do think he will be a lot of fun. Um, best lineup last year, Fox, Monk, Herder or Murray, Kind of both lineups were were pretty good. Barnes, Sabonis. I don't know how much we're really going to differ from last year. Maybe one or two players, Chris, because they didn't really do much to change their roster. But what do you got? No. So I, I think this is pretty direct. It's it's Fox. It's pick one of Munker Herter, I think. Um, I think it's it's Keegan Murray. I think it's it could be Barnes. I think there's a world where just you want the other big wing on there, and I think it's a bonus. Or like you put out, you got Barnes, and you put in the other like wing here, or like maybe it's Van Kov just because of the shooting instead of Barnes. If you still want a bigger guy, the formula here is Fox, at least one other shooting guard, and Sabonis and Murray, and then it's like who's the fifth guy? And if it's Barnes. Even though we know his limitations, wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me if it's Monk and Herder, even with some real defensive concerns there. Like they, it's gonna be some version of like the four guys we know, and then it's like, okay, who does the fifth one end up being? So I went Fox Herder, Murray Barnes, Sabonis. I went a little bit more size. Um, I I like trying to put as much help defense as you can out there with length around Sabonis, so that they're maybe slightly better on defense, uh, even if that's somewhat wishful thinking. But I think this is a good spot to talk about Monk really quick because yeah. I didn't put him in kind of on purpose, and, and he's another regression candidate here. I, not so much because I think anything he necessarily did was crazy. The shooting numbers were pretty much in line. You know, he had a really great year with the Lakers the year before, so it's not exactly... Um, did I say something funny about Malik Monk? You just no, laughed so, as I'm breaking no, I, down I, Malik. I, I clicked I clicked over to his basketball reference page, and there's just like a couple of things in this that are just like the Fox, and similar to the Fox thing, they're just like, so cleaning the glass for people that don't use it, they have like, it's the the, the, percentage, the percentiles are color coordinated, and like the darker orange it is, the higher in the percentile the number is. Yep. Uh, his assist percentage is just like, like what? <laughs> It's like, yeah, excuse me. It's but his usage went up too. 
you know, and I just think, you know, he just was one of those guys who got more opportunities, right? Like some of it's just chalk, chalk it up to that. He just played more. He had the ball. He wasn't playing off of LeBron James. He's suddenly like a focal point of a team, all these different parts. But the one thing you could probably look at that I would say just from his own standpoint that might feel fluky is he is another one of these guys that nearly doubled his shooting fouled rate got to the line a lot more than he ever had made free throws at a higher percentage than he had in a, in several seasons. So maybe that doesn't stay, but if you break down the on off with him and Fox, he was one of the guys more than a lot of others, even who really benefited from being on the court with De'Aaron Fox yes. when it was just him. Not so great when it was him and Fox fine but fox with monk off was about equal so monk was not really and like if you just look straight on off he was technically a negative over the course of the whole season so he's another guy where despite kind of a career year feels a little iffy um so i left him out of my best lineup for that reason and i i think relying on him to again keep getting better keep doing more probably isn't the path forward for the king so um yeah i went fox herder murray barnes sabonis for that reason and i really just wish they had one more like young athletic forward that would make me feel a lot better about this team like i even thought about kessler edwards in there just to kind of like throw something in but i don't know if he'll make enough shots to stay on the court but even he could kind of sneak his way into their can rotation more than we're expecting can let me ask you one hypoth roster hypothetical before we we move on here they were one of the teams maybe that were like linked to kyle kuzma before kuzma went back to dc if you mm -hmm. took out Barnes and Kuzma on this team, would you feel differently about them in any meaningful way? Not really, which is why I, at the end of the day, I was kind of okay with them not doing yeah. the Kuzma thing for the price that it was going to cost. The reality might have been that guy just wasn't available. I thought this was an interesting, like, John Collins team, potentially. Yeah, I agree. Even just because he's even with, bigger than those kind of Kuzma yeah, guys, and, you know? Yeah. I, I think you run into some trickery with them with Collins and Sabonis and like how to kind of shoehorn them in um, mm -hmm. a little bit. Like I think that could be a little bit tricky. I Their needs are like very particular, but yet like it's a skill set that is like hard to find. Or you just like have to go get like a bigger guard type. Like I wouldn't have actually hated like Dylan Brooks to some mm -hmm. degree, you know, just to kind of maybe just be like a different kind of energy. But and like maybe upgrade like what you get from Davion Mitchell in, in kind of a distinct way. Like this team's needs are just like I I and what the trade could be for them, even if even if they hit like a double on a trade and it's not like an all in trade, I think like there's gonna be maybe just someone that sneaks available that we're not really thinking of right now that it's just like, oh, they got X guy or they roll the dice on on someone for like two seconds or something. I think that's very I mean, much in play here. The reason that the trade is hard to find, the reason that the roster is unique, is because yeah. of Sabonis. Yeah, well, and they and they don't have he like, doesn't well, at this play defense and he can't shoot. Yeah, well, and the roster I mean, also like, is like he's a great player, but that's salary. the reality. Lacking the yeah, salary, and they also that too. Yeah, they also they don't have like the like they don't have even like an Evan Fournier type contract just to be like here's a nineteen million dollar expiring to play with, right? Like they don't have. Well, I think like, that's Mitchell. what Barnes will be. Right. I mean, that's kind of probably part of why they re-signed Barnes at the number that they did is just kind of have that. Yeah. And then Lyles, yeah. too. 
Yeah, and if you want it to get really spicy, then it's like hurt her. Because like, this is the last year of Monk's contract. Mm-hmm. Nine million, like nine point nine million, almost ten million for Monk, and he's going to be looking for some kind of raise. I I think there's some potential. I think it's a good shot to maybe there's some potential. And again, you have David Mitchell at five. You have Duarte at four. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see. All right. Uh, best case, worst case. Brent, best I case, best I case. have. They pile up regular season wins again and get better luck in the West bracket to maybe win the first round. Pretty yeah. similar to last year. Yeah, I agree. I don't love how they match up with some of the other really good teams in the West. Like I think they, we saw that with the Warriors a little bit. But I think if they play like a Lakers or like obviously Denver or the Suns, like I think they could have some real problems if they get a higher seed and like they get the Wolves. I think that's a that's a big dub for them. But I think if they get a team with a big dominant wing scorer or they play the Warriors again, I think that's where they get in a little bit of trouble. But I, I think if they get even like Memphis, I wouldn't like hate their odds of, of playing Memphis really well, to be honest with you. Even with the Jaron Jackson Sabonis thing, I just think they would be able to attack John and all that stuff. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I would prefer that for them. than. Like I feel like you're being you're you're being kind of harsh on the Warriors thing. Like, I think that them getting to seven against the reigning champions is actually like. To me, they match up well with Golden State because yeah. Golden State plays so small. They don't have the wing guy you're talking about. I think that's actually one the, of the teams that they might like to play over like the, some of the other true. ones you said, the Suns, the Nuggets, whatever. Yeah, that's true. It's just like them having to defend Curry and then like the like. I, there's just some parts of the Warriors that I just don't love how they overlap with them to some degree, even if I, you're, you're probably ostensibly right, unless Andrew Wiggins like suddenly like becomes like Maple Jordan or something, and then it's like a different conversation. Um What'd you have for worst case? I think worst case is that they just like everything kind of regresses with Monk and Fox in particular, and mm-hmm. they slide down to like the six or seven seed. I think like that might not even be something they do totally wrong. I think it's just possible with how competitive the West is going to be and teams with aspirations and teams that are good. It's just going to be harder. So it's like not a guarantee that they can just kind of run this back and win 48-ish games again and be the three. So I think it's possible to have a somewhat similar season, have a little bit of regression. And it's like, okay, you're the six seed and congratulations. Your result is you're playing the Phoenix Suns in, in round one of the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, just to remind people, this was the best offense in the NBA but it, and in NBA history, but it was the 25th defense. And so if you're talking about what what is the version of this team from a win-loss standpoint, from a bracket standpoint that has the 10th best offense and still the 25th defense, you know, that, that team is fighting to get out of the play-in uh, at the end of the day. But for me, the worst case is actually maybe not a worst case at all. Uh, if that makes sense, because I think this is one of those teams I, I had it, you know, the half court offense falls off. The defense still doesn't really have any answers, but that might make them finally get a little more aggressive retooling around the two stars and, and kind of as unfortunate as it is for a fan base that had as much shit to deal with the past 20 years, maybe the honeymoon phase kind of being ended for them might be nice. If this team is, you know, two games below 500 heading into the trade deadline, what do they do? I don't think trade Fox or Sabonis, but it might make them a more aggressive using the Monk salary or some of those other pieces if they aren't having the same level of success. You're not going to blow things up after your first playoff season in 20 years, but you might if you follow that up with some some disappointment. So the worst case might ultimately be better for their future. If they just cruise again in the regular season, then 
I, I think that they're probably a first round exit. And then we kind of have the same questions again, maybe losing a little bit would help them. Um, what is, what so, is the best case for the defense for you, for them? Like, can it be like a top, like, can it be close to league average? Can it be like, is it top 20 is the ceiling? Like what's the ceiling on the defense in your mind? I mean, you just look at kind of what they did. They rebounded and they didn't foul. Those are the two best things. I don't see a lot of change for this roster in terms of being able to create turnovers more. They still have no rim protection. Maybe somebody like Edwards continuing to develop. Davion Mitchell being more playable. Keegan Murray getting more comfortable allows them to just kind of contain individual scorers a little bit more than they did. But when your two best players are Fox and Sabonis... This is what your defense is going to be, I think. What do you think? I think when you're, I think you've hit it on the head. I think when it's Fox and Sabonis or the, are at the, your rim protection and at the point of attack and you don't have like the A wing defender. Like, I, I think even if Mike Brown's a great defensive coach and knows every scheme under the sun, I think there's just a limit. And like when Monk and Herter are then like your big role players. Like, I, yeah. I think this just kind of is like the identity of this team is score a ton to score an absolute ton and be good enough on defense. And like, the, there were times where they played situationally like good crunch time defense, like it happened. But that also not being able to string, string together like great defense, I think also does limit your ceiling a little bit. So I have the under 44 and a half is the number. I have the under. They were a 47-win team statistically last year. Um, one other thing we haven't hit on with them that kind of applies here more than anything else, but also just to think about the ceiling and floor in general. The starting lineup, all five guys that started for this team played at least 73 games. The entire bench played at least 60. That just doesn't happen in the NBA in 2023. That's just a huge competitive advantage on a nightly basis if you have all your players. Um, now, nobody besides Fox really has a history of missing time all that much. So it's not like there's some one player where you're like, that guy's not going to make it through another year. Like Otto Porter is not on this team or something. But like, uh, and they're pretty young. But still, you just, even what if, what if a guy who played 75 last year now plays 55? Mm-hmm. You know, that that just changes things. So plus, I just think to put to your point about the mat, the way they match up with some of the other teams in the West and the fact that their division is pretty good. The teams they play the most in terms of the Suns, the Clippers, the Lakers, all uh, the Warriors all being good and maybe even a little better than last year outside of the Clippers. They kind of took advantage of a weak conference last year, and I think we all agree about that. So if the conference overall is better, I think some of the wins could come from the Kings. So that's my case. I'm going under 44 and a half. And that sucks. Like, I hope this team does keep it going because it would it would be disappointing to have, like, one of the stories of the year be like, oh, the Kings fell off after their fairy tale season. But it might happen. It's. I think. I think I would lean under as well, but I think that says more to me about the competitiveness of the West. And it also wouldn't shock me if they just like still won like 45, if it's like very close to this, you know, if they're like just like a little bit worse, but and like technically go over, but it's like by the skin of their teeth. Um, They're not one of the teams that I would look at to say is like, I think this team could win 50 games in the West. I think there are only like two teams. I would feel really confident about that right now. Maybe three. 
Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't think their ceiling is is very high. I think last year, last season, we kind of saw the ceiling. Yeah, and it was awesome. And we should light the beam forever. But there's some trouble. Perhaps. Yeah, how did it take us the full preview to say light the beam? That was a complete missed opportunity for us. Yeah, not 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 good work. Are they that. doing the beam this year? They can't not get. They have to do the beam. Hmm. Like if they don't do the beam, then like they deserve to win like fifteen games. It's, it the beam. The beam needs an on off. That that's what I would say. Like you know, last year it was there all year, but like, you know, how did it affect Fox's shooting splits? Like I just I need some analysis of when they started doing the beam, who was lighting it that night, and how did that correspond? Like I just I really need the breakdown because that might be the hidden factor here that we're missing completely, and, yeah, and why they might like, hit the over. We yeah, we need like the the tracking data to really get to the bottom of this. Like yeah. we need a second spectrum. Really, hopefully, is tracking this is what I would say. So the league, probably people in the league, you know, looking at second spectrum. That's it for this episode of the Just Basketball Show. Back at you after the weekend of hoops, getting closer and closer. More receiving previews, more WNBA Finals coverage coming at you. Thanks again to Dylan Heiser for his work producing the video version of this episode. Thanks again to Zane, our guy, doing amazing work on the TikTok. It's been the Just Basketball Show. Peace out, everyone. Enjoy the hoops.